You're listening to Law Talk with Bill Powers, your resource for answers to your most pressing legal questions. Attorney Bill Powers sits down with some of today's leading legal minds to discuss everything from legal issues and legislation to practice tips and policy. Now, here's your host, an NBTA board-certified criminal law specialist, former president of the North Carolina Advocates for Justice and renowned trial lawyer, Bill Powers. Hello, thank you for joining us on Law Talk with Bill Powers. As ever, the goal of our podcast is to provide helpful information about the practice of law in North Carolina, including developing trends and topics of interest. Today we sit literally sequestered in the middle of the coronavirus pandemic. Indeed, pursuant to the order of the Chief Justice of the North Carolina Supreme Court, access today to both district and superior courts is limited. Right now, it doesn't much matter whether you're a law student, a judge, prosecutor, criminal defense lawyer, or family law attorney, it is a troubling time. We all want to know the effects of the statewide stay-at-home order, wondering when it will be lifted and when courts will reopen. This morning, I'm joined with my good friend and absolutely fabulous criminal defense attorney, John Fanny. Good morning, John. Good morning, Bill. How are you? I'm well, I'm well. Uh, John, thank you so much for your gift of time and willingness to share your legal expertise. Uh, To give everyone a little bit of a background about John, John Fanny is a practicing attorney with 29 years of practical courtroom experience helping people with DWI charges, felony and misdemeanor cases, and complex 50B domestic violence protective orders. John's office is in Wake County, specifically in Raleigh. And he travels to the surrounding towns and judicial districts, helping people with criminal charges, DWI, and a wide range of different legal issues. John's primary focus is on criminal defense. Uh, He has always worked in the private practice of law, which means the entirety of his legal career has been in the courtroom trenches. Uh, John Fanny is a recognized board-certified specialist in both state of North Carolina and federal criminal defense by the North Carolina State Bar. He's a graduate of the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill and Campbell Law School. Did I get it mostly right? You got it all right, right. Bill. Great, great. Uh, Let's start off right at the top. To be clear, you and your firm are open for business, right? Yeah, that's correct. We're here. Uh, We don't have any walk-in business in case unless someone has an emergency. We're doing some phone conferences, and we may start soon doing some Zoom chats if we have clients that feel the need. Great, great. And in fact, you never closed, even with the stay-at-home order or any local orders you may have in Wake County, right? That is correct. That is correct. Right. Law firms, particularly criminal defense firms, are have been deemed essential businesses by the stay-at-home orders, and, and we're very happy about that, not because we're able to continue to make a living, but we're here to provide help to folks that need it in a really difficult time. Right. And in fact, um, while some may complain about our duties and professional responsibilities as defense lawyers, um, criminal attorneys are essential to the administration of justice. In fact, if uh, you have a loved one who's sitting in jail accused of a crime in ordinary circumstances, you probably understand the importance of having a criminal lawyer by your side in court. And with the coronavirus, I think, and please feel free to correct me if you disagree with me on this point, defense lawyers are as important as ever. Uh, in part, that's because we explain our roles, uh, or excuse me, part of our roles are explaining how the system works. We're facilitators. We negotiate things. And we help assure people or reassure people as need be um, because it's a complicated legal system. Um, 
As to the coronavirus in Wake County, and, and you do go to the surrounding uh, judicial districts, where are we? What, what courts are open? What's the present status of the court system? Well, uh, civil courts are essentially closed, and I'll return to uh, the one civil court that's open here in a second. The criminal courts are have to stay open because there's important rights that people have when they're charged with crimes. There's mm-hmm. due process rights. There's getting getting a loved one out of jail, bond, bond modifications. So those are very important rights that we are trying to protect in a really difficult time, Bill. You know, one of the things that I get a lot of questions about is what's going to happen to me if I get arrested? Right. And so, so um, you know, we, we have our, I'm sorry, no, go ahead, we have go our ahead. felony courts mm-hmm. that operate on a very limited level. Right. Um, and we have first appearances that cover bond issues. And we're, you know, we have special needs cases. Anybody in custody um, gets their cases reviewed. They try to resolve cases by plea, negotiation. And um, that's pretty much it. Everything else, your run-of-the-mill cases, we're, we're shut down. Right. So while uh, probably the majority of misdemeanor cases, um, DWI charges, traffic tickets, even minor uh, theft cases or gun charges, things like that, they're all being continued. Is that correct? Yes, yes. Most cases where people are not in custody are being continued. Um, you know, cases where folks are in custody, those are serious charges like assaults involving deadly weapons or assaults inflicting serious injury, shooting into occupied dwellings, burglary, kidnapping, those types of crimes, which we are seeing some increase in. Mm-hmm. And so I think the operative word or words would be in custody. So you're not handling trials in either district or superior court, but you may be, if someone gets arrested, you may be handing a first appearance or a bond hearing or something like that. Is that correct? Yes. Or a probable cause hearing as as well. We are having dates for probable cause hearings. Um, We do know that our grand juries are operating. Oh, okay. Uh, They are going to be meeting soon. We may receive indictments next week on a number of felony cases. Right. And I think um, people may have questions about that. saying to themselves, well, if, what is, if courts are closed, aren't they closed? And there are some statutory, and, and meaning the North Carolina general statutes, but also constitutional rights regarding having a maybe a first appearance or maybe having an attorney appointed or maybe having a right to be heard on bond. And those are cases that the Chief Justice specifically said, you know, we're still open for business, right? That's correct. Right. That's correct. We've handled some bond hearings um, in the last month. We've had some folks who are have been in jail. Uh, we've had folks who have gotten themselves out on bond and had to go back and modify their bond conditions uh, so they could have contact with loved ones, which is you know things we often see in you know the sister cases that go along with uh, you know domestic violence protective orders like we talked about. Right. So um, let's, that's, a good, that's a great point, and thank you for bringing me into that, because in, in, we are seeing, at least in our jurisdictions we go to, um, and we have seen an increase in uh, assault charges, um, domestic violence, which um, defense lawyers may refer to domestic violence to cover a lot of different uh, charges. Actually, the statute's kind of broadly written to be inclusive of that. So we're talking about things like... Um, Simple assault or, you know, assault and battery, some people may call it. Um, assault on a female. Uh, I see, we're seeing more communicating threats, injury to personal property, 
uh, and even a serious, you mentioned a felony assault, but like felony assault by strangulation, those may qualify as DV charges. Is that what you're seeing right. in Wake County? Yeah, we're seeing a, a, an unfortunate increase in domestic violence charges. I have seen assault by strangulation. I've seen kidnapping, unlawful restraint, um, interfere with emergency communications. I mean, you know, the it's not a, quite an endless list, but there are a number of ways that domestic violence cases can come in to our office. Um, you know, one of the things we see a lot, in fact, we've handled a couple this week, Bill, is the protective orders. You know, they go hand in hand sometimes with criminal charges. Uh, lately, we've seen a lot of move to getting these orders entered, these 50B orders entered, uh, without any criminal charges being filed. Mm. Now, um, let's talk about that a little bit because it can be a bit confusing. Uh, 50B uh, is uh, is actually North Carolina General Statute Chapter 50B, and it's regarding uh, domestic violence protective orders, DVPO. Some people call them restraining orders or DV orders. Um, it's actually a type of civil filing. It's a, it's a weird animal, uh, in my opinion, because... Uh, it has aspects of uh, criminal charges, which is often the basis for the restraining order, but it also has a hearing in uh, civil court, which that courtroom, at least in our jurisdiction, has remained open for obtaining a domestic violence restraining order, DV protective order, and there's a 10-day hearing and all that. Is, that. is that true in Wake County, too? Yes, that's true here in Wake County, and I believe in surrounding counties like Harnett County and Johnson County, um, Orange County. Uh, let's try to think of some more counties we've been to lately. Franklin County, Granville County, those those are very limited in operation, but the the 50B or domestic violence courts are open every day. Right, right. And DV covers a lot of different ground because um, you can apply for a protective order of, of such. Some some people call it TRO. We, we just tend in North Carolina to refer to it as a 50B. You can apply on your own behalf, meaning if you're a violence of domestic or a victim of domestic violence, or on behalf of a child or children. And domestic violence does not necessarily mean that you are domiciled with one another, um, even though that's what we call it. It could be people have had prior dating relationships, or a child in common, or even between uh, siblings, or mother and father, grandparents, and things like that. Um, one thing you said to me I thought was really interesting, John, is you're seeing a restraining order without the criminal charges. And as a criminal lawyer, I, I'm regularly concerned that clients, I want to make sure that clients understand, hey, just because you got the paperwork, you need to look carefully at it. It may not just be a criminal charge. There may be a civil um, um, paperwork coupled with that. So are you, you're saying you're seeing the DV PO without criminal charges, you think they may be waiting for that? That's correct. We have had um, a number of calls in the last couple of weeks involving nothing but the restraining order or the DVPO itself. Right. Um, there have been instances where I think maybe no investigation has been conducted, no one's called the police yet, but yet they're still going and seeking these orders. And that's important uh, for folks to get a lawyer and seek some representation on those because you have a number of important rights that you could have restrained if a protective order gets in place against you. Um, I can give you one quick example. I have right. a young lady who came to the office this week who uh, there could be some charges in the future if the 
object or the person she's seeking the order against actually disseminates some private images that he's threatened to release. So okay, there's yeah. a lot of interesting ways these, these charges or these orders or applications you know, come, come into our office. Wow, and that standard of proof on a civil DVPO is a civil standard. It's not a criminal standard. Much lower. Right, yeah. much lower. And um, I, I have to remind clients that those, while district court, criminal court, is not considered a court of record, uh, generally speaking, at least in my jurisdiction, we don't even record them. There's no trans, you know, transcript of proceeding. There's no court reporter. A lot of DVPO matters, in fact, I think they may be by statute, are indeed recorded. So They are recorded. Right. And, right. Yes, and, they are. Right. And the, the, <clears throat> the worry um, that I have or I want to make sure people understand is that, you know, in a criminal case, you have a right to remain silent and you're not required to present evidence. You, you know, the state cannot, the prosecutor cannot call you to the stand and have you testify. That's not true in a civil case for 50B, right? That is correct. Uh, the opposing counsel can call the person who is the subject or the uh, respondent or defendant, if you will. Mm -hmm. The person who the order is sought against can be called to testify and, you know, potentially implicate themselves in criminal activity. You know, that can absolutely destroy um, their position in a domestic case if that happens after the 50 Bs are issued. And, mm -hmm. You know, Bill, I know you do a little family law work, and I, I think you understand the importance of for the relationship between domestic violence protective orders and maybe someone seeking an advantage in a domestic case. Right. What is intended to be a shield can be pounded out into a sword uh, at times. Um, and it is, that is, it, correct. It yep. is, and it is complicated because uh, the advice that a criminal defense attorney may give, the way we approach that, is is not only can be, but often is different than advice that may be given um, as part of a uh, legal separation and child custody issues exactly. and all that. And, and some people don't realize yeah. that a 50B can actually address custody, uh, visitation, or lack of visitation, uh, even who uh, is allowed to return to the dwelling. Uh, and it, it gets complicated. I, I think what I, I tell people regularly is... Uh, don't just uh, do something, stand there. And I know that is kind of opposite than the saying that we all use, but um, before taking right. action, before proceeding forward, before saying anything to anybody, um, you know, talk to a lawyer. Now, John, talk a little bit about, Absolutely. if you will, if you will, um, about um, what happens if you violate a 50B. Let's say um, uh, someone brings a 50B against their spouse and then that spouse later sends a text and says, hey, I'm really sorry. You know, they, they, uh, they told me I had to do this. You know, you can come back in the house. Um, and then your client texts back and then they work everything out and they, he, he or she goes back in the house. Tell me what those kind of you know, thoughts in your head. How do you analyze yeah, that? That is one of the biggest concerns we have because we're, we work hard to try to keep a civil matter like we're discussing right now with these orders from turning into a criminal matter because it is absolutely something the state of North Carolina takes very seriously. If you have a protective order entered against you, whether you're invited back or not, whether you are uh, prompted to return a text or a phone call, that is a violation of a protective order. That is a crime in North Carolina. 
And believe it or not, even with this virus um, going on like it is right now, if you violate a protect border in Wake County, Johnson County, Harnett County, you're going to get picked up and you're going to jail. You're going to now be charged with a crime for violating a domestic violence protective order. Is that a minor crime or a serious one? And I know the answer to this. but well, That's uh, a very serious crime. Yeah. It's an A1 misdemeanor here in North Carolina. Um, there's only a couple of things that the state of North Carolina takes more seriously than domestic violence crimes and violating an order, and that's probably DWIs and you know unfortunate sex offenses. Right. But it's a very serious crime. It could lead to long-term um, loss of rights. It could lead, it could lead to be, you know, going to jail, could be placed on supervised probation, losing your ability to possess a firearm, not be allowed to be in certain areas. It's a very serious crime. Right. Let's kind of let's kind of break this apart a little bit, because I think okay. I think clients are sometimes shocked to hear um, what all a 50B can do. And even what happens is procedurally is that they will go down and um, request a, um, a, a what's called an ex parte, which means you're not there when they bring it against you. Uh, and they last only for a relatively short period of time, 10 days. And during that 10 day period, uh, they um, provide evidence to the court that signs an order and that order is the 50B protective order. And it can say things like, don't try to contact them. Do not text them. Do not go to the primary dwelling or residence. Do not go to children's school. Do not go to their place of work. Um, do not have anyone else that you know, even a f- friend or family member, try to contact them. You know, using use of third parties can be a violation. And then there's also things like if you have any weapons, turn them into the sheriff's department. I'll break that down a little bit uh, with me, if you would. Like if you're if you're speaking with a client, John, what what? How do you explain that to them? Because it, it, you know, do you, I like to see the, the 50B itself because there's a lot, bunch of different boxes to check. But what are your concerns or how do you analyze that? Well, yeah, we have folks either send those to us via email or fax or we have them come to the office and meet with us and we review it with them. So first, they completely understand what they can and cannot do. Right. And then we stress with them that any form of contact whatsoever, be it a card or returning a text or uh, having a friend say, hey, you know, he's sorry. We stress to them absolutely cannot do that. You know, with regards to firearms, um, you know, they obviously the order says you must turn those into the sheriff's department. And that includes parts of weapons like magazines, clips. It also includes ammunition. Mm -hmm. It is a violation of both state and federal law to possess ammunition, firearms, or any part of a firearm while somebody's got a restraining order against them, even the 10-day order or the ex parte order that you've mentioned. Right, and and that um, can entail another conversation, and and I mentioned part of our, our job as defense lawyers is we're facilitators, we're explainers, if you will. But part of that can entail a process with the local sheriff. So like in Wake County, you'd, you would contact someone yeah. at the Wake County Sheriff's Department. Tell me how you do that because, um, uh, you know, you just don't want your client rolling up to the police station with a bunch of guns walking into the station. Oh, no. No, we normally um, check with our clients to see if they have things like concealed carry permits or making sure they have all their paperwork in order with their pistols if they have those. And we recommend our clients do an inventory of the weapons, uh, sometimes depending on if there's been criminal charges issued or not, especially we will, uh, you know, we call a, 
the sheriff's department, speak with someone with regards to the evidence, and we make arrangements for those things to be turned over. But we encourage our clients to keep an accurate list, and we try to limit the um, contact between law enforcement and our clients if they've charged or not been charged, just to make sure that there aren't any problems. Right. So to be clear, a 50B is not a criminal charge, correct? That is correct. Right. Uh, we've had clients who were very confused about that issue. How can I have committed or had this order entered against me if I have not committed a crime? It is not just the commission of a crime that allows one of these orders to be entered against someone. We have had cases in the past where just the acts that fell short of being a crime or unreported activity formed the basis of this restraining order. So there's no crime necessarily that has to be charged. You can be subject to one of these orders or you can get one of these orders or have one issued on behalf of yourself um, with no crime having been committed against you. Right. And um, maybe you can talk about this a little bit. Uh, it, you're not necessarily precluded from later attempting to bring charges, whether it's via um, a criminal summons or even a warrant for arrest. Uh, if it's felony charges, uh, you know, there's no statute of limitations on that. Talk a little bit about that, if you will, like the timing and um, your legal rights as a, as a criminal defendant or a potential criminal defendant when you're talking to clients. Well, um, I'm sorry, what was the end of that? Well, the, que the, the question is like, let's say you, you gave an example. We're seeing or you're seeing some of these where you're seeing a 50B issued but no criminal charges. That does not right. prevent or preclude the criminal charge. There's a period of time in which. Oh, no. Oh, not at right, all. Right. Yeah, not, not at all. Um, and we have to advise people against that with that all the time. In fact, we have um, had to work with folks on the other end, you know, representing folks who won't protective orders issued, explaining to them you know, that the process involves us um, looking at the evidence, that maybe the crime gets committed in the future. You know, I referenced earlier someone threatening to uh, put pictures of an ex-girlfriend on the internet. Um, that's a crime in and of itself now. If the photographs contain sexual activity or private um parts of the body as defined by our case, uh, excuse me, our statutes, um, you know, and we've been able to, you know, send letters of caution to folks saying, Hey, please don't do this. We don't want to see you charged with a crime, but please understand that we will seek to have you charged with crimes if you continue to do certain things. Um, and that kind of goes back also to the 50 B at times, forms the basis for people to end up being charged later, be it months, I don't say years, but uh, months, weeks later, we see folks getting charged. Right. And that's not that you wouldn't have a valid, I guess, cross-examination question on the issue. Why did you do this? You know, was it a vindictive prosecution or these false allegations? Um, you know, that may be a basis to challenge something in a criminal charge. But again, there's no statute of limitations on felony charges. And with grand juries... Um, not having convened in some jurisdictions, uh, wait, and you said Wake County has been convened. I think Charlotte's about to spool back up. Um, uh, there, there may be very good reasons uh, why something has not been indicted or uh, you know, holding off on probable cause. Let's kind of. That's exactly right. Okay, let's yeah. kind of pivot a little bit okay. because um, 
you know, there's more going on than just these DVPO kind of cases. Um, and we're getting questions about traffic tickets and things like that, which I'm, I'm sure you handle. Is there an administrative way where maybe you're contacting the DA's office and working through speeding tickets? Or, or what are you working on during the coronavirus right now, looking at discovery? You know, what's, what's going well, on? Well, uh, we're, we're not doing very many speeding tickets. Our DA's office is um, short-staffed, and our courts have been fairly um, you know, decided they're not going to do anything except the absolute basics. Uh, there are times when we can negotiate some pleas and some felony cases like drug charges because um, those courts are open, but nobody really wants to do a plea right now. But we are handling traffic cases. We are handling cases where people are trying to get their license restored. I've gotten a lot of calls lately about people you know, now taking time to look at themselves and right. go, hey, I, you know, I've been without a driver's license for a few years and I need a DMV conditional restoration hearing or I lost my license for DWIs a few years back, and I'm trying to get my license, you know, reinstated to get my license back. I get a lot of calls for that lately, and we're, we're working through those cases. Right, and those, at least for me, um, they tend to take a little bit more time. There's a preparation aspect of them. Um, we, we have gotten, now that you mentioned I hadn't really thought about it, we've had a fair number of calls regarding NC DMV issues, uh, just questions like, well, you know, I— they say I have to have an ignition interlock device, and it's been 10 years. Do I still have to have it? Or you know, I need to get my driver's license back. And then we, you know, our first question is, well, why is it revoked? And we may pull a, a record check, and we had one yesterday where we found out, well, you have three pending cases in one county and another in another county. And until those are cleared up, um, you know, NCDMB is going to continue to suspend or revoke. Um, I personally you know, like to take the time to analyze the record as a whole. Um, even though DMV, uh, we've, they're closed down by this as well. That's correct. Uh, I've spoken to a couple of folks this week who have lost their license for driving while license revoked dry, uh, or moving violations while the license was suspended, mm -hmm. uh, driving while impaired charges, and they cannot even get a hearing. You know, I had a gentleman who called yesterday about a, medical review hearing where a doctor right. or a law enforcement officer or a family member has contacted DMV and said, uh, there's a medical issue with this person. We don't feel like they're safe to drive anymore. And DMV has you know, taken action to take their license for a medical problem. And unfortunately, you know, they're just not having these hearings right now. But there is work that we can still do with that. We do a lot of prep work with those issues. We have to meet with clients and gather doctors' information, like in the medical review process, um, or we have to work with witnesses and DMV conditional restoration hearings or permanent revocation hearings. I even had a guy call me last week for a habitual impaired driving restoration hearing. So um, folks are trying to get there, and we're trying to help them. Right, right. And, um, it's, you know, I don't really think about the medical review ones because um, we don't see those in Charlotte, um, I think. Is it Raleigh? Yeah, they're is all it? held in Raleigh. Right, right, which is great for you. All medical review hearings. <laughs> yeah, well, yes, that's, that is. Unfortunately, folks have to travel, but that's the way mm -hmm. it's been deemed by statute. And they have to come to the DMV offices here in Raleigh, Wake County, and have to go to the medical review board. Right. So um, let's talk a little bit about, you know, this is uh, what we're talking about today is during this shutdown. There's a presently there's a um, 
the governor has has a stay-at-home order, which there are all kinds of exclusions. Uh, the North Carolina Supreme Court has issued an order regarding courts. Um, there are local, uh, at least we have one in Mecklenburg County, we have a Mecklenburg County uh, order. Is there one in Wake County going on right now? There, there is a Wake County um, stay-at-home order, if you will. Uh, I think there's been some modifications this week allowing folks to get out a little more, and I think they've mildly increased the number of folks who can gather together, and they're getting <laughs> exemptions worked out for folks to you know, go to church or mosque or whatever it is they feel like they need to do other than sit at home. Right. And the governor's order, my understanding is, that says that if there's a local order that's more restrictive or more comprehensive, it, it it's in addition to the statewide stay-at-home order. Yeah, that that's true. There. In fact, um, earlier this week, there was a, a little dust-up, if you will, about which order is is important. And this is kind of goes back to us talking earlier about how important criminal defense lawyers are in this time period. You know, there was a protest here in Raleigh earlier this week against these stay-at-home orders. Mm-hmm. And the Raleigh police first allowed the protest to take place. And then after an hour or two hours or so, they... Someone decided that there were violations of the stay-at-home orders, either at the state level or the local level, and um, the Raleigh police shut down the the uh, demonstration and later actually tweeted that your rights to free speech, not necessarily in those words, but the ability to demonstrate was a non-essential activity, and actually one person got charged with a crime um, as right. a result of a violation of these orders. Right. I, you know, I, I have not seen one of those yet in Charlotte. Um, I would expect, and, and I, I anticipate our, our, we're about to see some action taking, reintroducing, or gradually open up um, Charlotte. But I would anticipate uh, more, if that had not happened, I would anticipate more of these type of charges uh, coming down the pike where people, uh, I think so. people yeah, are going to be challenging to, um, disperse. Or I think that's the charge that this one individual was charged with—a failure to to disperse. Or there's also a a crime for actually violating an emergency declaration. Right, and it'll be that's interesting a to see here in North right. Carolina. It'll be interesting to see if the governor's order can be uh, enforced with the criminal law, whether it's constitutional. I think it's fair to say. Correct. I mean, if people want to be you know, civil disobedience uh, type of person, uh, there are consequences to that. And there are some people who are going to get arrested. And um, um, yeah, that's true. Right. That's and I, true. I would not, antis- I would not tell clients, say, just, you know, you're, it's a, you should assume a dismissal. That's something else that I, I think it's real important clients realize. I think clients. Yeah, I, we're I, not. Yeah. I've been following this closely and I'm not sure how the court system, we've only got one case so far. Right. So, and I hope there won't be more. I hope, you know, all these uh, issues can be worked out and people can exercise their constitutional rights to assemble or redress grievances or petition the government. Anyhow, you want to phrase that without there being court action against them. Um, But it is important to remember that, you know, law enforcement, if they're told to perform an activity, they don't have much choice but to perform that activity. And unfortunately, if that means someone gets arrested, they need a good lawyer to help them through the process because I just don't know at this point whether it's going to be a, hey, sorry, you know, we got it and just dismiss your case. So you need you do need to seek legal counsel if some of these things have happened to you or if you think you're going to be involved in some activity, you might want to consult with an attorney before you do that. Right. And, I, and that brings up another point. Um, 
it's something that, uh, I don't know if it's an irritant is the right word to me, but I, I regularly get emails, inquiries saying, you know, how do I get my dismissal? Um, meaning, well, I've never had any trouble before. And it's, it's, this is true whether you're going 100 miles an hour or charged with trafficking cases. I don't know when it happened, but people seem to think that because they've had no prior record, it's an automatic dismissal. It's a guarantee. It's a matter of right. I know what I think about that, but right. I mean, John, your experience, I mean, you're, you're, heck, you're a board service. Well, yeah, but. my experience is the same. I get a lot of this, and particularly in DWI cases. Well, I'm a good person. I've, I've never even had a speeding ticket. Can't you just go to the DA and show them my record and they'll dismiss the case or reduce the charge? And mm -hmm. unfortunately, that that doesn't happen. Right. Um, uh, you know, I, I see it all the time. I see folks go, well, well why can't I have my thing automatically dismissed? Right. It just doesn't work that way. I have a lot of clients, particularly right now, who are calling wanting to know if I can go and negotiate a dismissal of their pending cases because this coronavirus shutdown mm -hmm. is going on. Mm -hmm. And that's unfortunately, in, you know, for the, Folks who aren't in custody or aren't sick, you know, sitting in jail—that's just not a consideration, right? You know, the, at some point, the process is going to have to pick up again. We're going to have to go back to court. We're going to have to go through our due process procedures, criminal procedure, and you know, resolve cases. And I just, you know, don't see it being a—it's not a mulligan or a gimme that you're going to get your case dismissed, right? And that's that's true as we sit here today with COVID-19 and six years before and six years after, I, I, I encourage clients Absolutely. to say, listen, we, you know, we want to, we want to make sure the state can make its burden of proof. We want to look at the evidence. We want to, you know, investigate the background, look at discovery if we get any discovery and see if the state can make its case. Um, that doesn't mean we don't right. challenge cases, but that does not mean, and people should not assume that just because you're a good person, uh, that the charges are automatically dismissed. I, I, I do think there's consideration of prior record, um, but it is something as a criminal defense lawyer, I'm regularly telling people, I don't know when people decided that equity, you know, what is kind of, you right. know, in, in what they consider big picture fair or not fair, supersedes even the technical violation of the law. Um, right. I, my well, advice, you know, people you know, should probably, if you look at it from the other end of the spectrum, I have a lot of people who have a lot of prior convictions on the record and they come to me and they go, well, that's already in the past and I've already done my time or paid my price. Why mm -hmm. is that being held against me? Right. Well, and that's when you have to explain to people the difference. First of all, having no record does not mean you're not going to be punished in some regard. Right. And, you know, having a record is, the same thing as having no record. They all, it all, it's a matter of weight. Right. If you have more prior convictions, you can expect the risk of your exposure to punishment to be increased. If you have no record, you still have a risk of exposure to punishment. It's right. not an automatic thing. That's a great thing, especially with fel uh, felony sentencing in North Carolina. We have the uh, a, a, a sentencing guide, a structure we call it, the, the grid or where there are different prior record levels and we, you know, starting at all the way, you know, starting at uh, prior record level one and going up to level six and we use a point system. Um, and there's some offenses in North Carolina that doesn't matter whether you have no prior uh, record, the prior record's not considered. And that specifically would be 
a trafficking charge, a drug trafficking charges where you can have a completely clean record. And if you have a certain type of drug and a certain amount of that type of drug, whether it's dosage units or weight, uh, you could be charged with trafficking, which is serious stuff, right? Yep. Mandatory sentencing. You know, trafficking has three levels, and generally for each controlled substance that's involved, there are varying levels of mandatory sentences mm -hmm. involved. But even if you have no record, uh, you're charged for trafficking by transportation, possession, distribution, sale. Um, you are looking at mandatory prison. There is, right. irrespective of your standing as a good citizen or not, you're, you're looking at mandatory prison time. Right. And, and with Charlotte Douglas, we see a lot of those, I call them airport cases, where it's a lot of West Coast people flying um, either through Charlotte or to Charlotte for distribution. And uh, what they do is the, the airport folks in, uh, we see a lot in San Francisco, LA area, they'll, the dogs there will um, queue on a bag. Um, uh, while it may be legal in some states, uh, if there's a lot of it, you know, they may warn Charlotte. Uh, and then Charlotte uh, has their dogs sniff the bags, you know, when they come off the airplane and they wait and see who picks them up. And then we have people that are picked up. They're not from the state. They're sitting in jail and they've got two or three or four different trafficking charges. And they're saying, well, it's only one thing. Or I hear, well, it's legal in California. I say, it's not, well, first of all, if it's legal in one state, it doesn't mean it's legal here. But you know, I, I had one Correct. recently, someone said that to me, and they literally had 90 pounds of marijuana in two different bags, which I'm surprised they let them load the bags because that seems pretty heavy to me. But um, that that amount is not legal in California. And even if it were, you're now in a state where it's not illegal. And uh, when you see airplane cases, and you probably see this in, at RDU too, where you may be attracting the interest of another group of individuals um, at federal court, right? Right. Yeah. Yep. Known as yep. Known as the U.S. Marshals or the Postal Service or the DEA. Um, we get a lot of cases here in Wake County, not so much through the airport bill, but mm -hmm. through ground delivery services like FedEx. Oh yeah, good point. The post office. We uh, get a lot of cases where people have things mailed to them from California, from Washington, from Oregon, or other states of origin. You know, that's kind of the term of art they use where they know that any kind of package is suspicious. You know, they come in just like you're referencing to the airport. They come into a distribution center. Mm -hmm. They are done, you know, just the dog sniff, a walk around. And if the dog's alert, you know, they'll, they'll open the packages. A lot of uh, marijuana vapor, THC vapor or vape cases, we call them. We see a lot of those. Um, a lot of other things where people are shipping wax or dabs, um, edibles. We see a lot of folks having edibles shipped to themselves or mailed. And those folks are generally all prosecuted as felonies. Right. And I, I've seen, I'm sure you have, I've seen about every gimmick where it's um, delivered to a neighbor's house and you go pick it up on the stoop. I mean, I people think, well, I didn't use the U.S. mail. Um and I'm like, well, you did cross state lines. And by the way, FedEx and UPS do uh, open packages. They have people working at facilities that go through those things. Um, I guess the important point is uh, I don't see that stopping. I'm, we're we're going to still continue to see those type of charges in Charlotte. It's just the method of prosecution during the coronavirus may be slowed down, but it's not going to be um, uh, eliminated altogether. Um, no, no, no. It's... Uh 
law enforcement is still out there working. They may have kind of backed off here a little bit, you know, in the name of uh, keeping keeping the general public safe, so to speak, and keeping their own folks safe. But we do expect as the economy opens up that there's going to be uh, a lot more charges. There's going to be folks who are going to be itching to get out. There's the chances of people getting arrested for driving while impaired or DWI or DUI. That's mm-hmm. probably going to start going back up. Um, we, we're still seeing some activity. Again, underscoring why it's important to have a good criminal defense lawyer. Right. Well, that um, that kind of brings us to a close, and I think it's a good point to remind people that uh, if you have a pending charge or if you think you may be um, the subject or a target investigation, that um, the only person you really should be speaking to is a criminal defense lawyer. There is something called attorney-client privilege. That means you can call up and— And the uh, right to remain silent. Right, right. It's, you have the right to remain silent. Use it. Um, John, do you charge for consultations for criminal charges? No, we don't charge for consultations. You know, we're available um, after hours and on weekends. We have an answering service, and if there's an emergency, then we, we'll return a phone call. We don't charge for those initial phone calls. We try to give good information on the front end and, you know, build a trusting um, professional relationship with folks and hope that they'll retain us and let us help them with their legal problem. Right. So let me give a, a plug out to John. It's uh, the Fanny uh, Law Firm in Raleigh, North Carolina. You travel to, I think you mentioned some of the jurisdictions. Let me see if I get this right. Like Harnett, where do you um, go? Ex- generally, Eastern North Carolina, some Central North Carolina, okay. Moore County, Harnett County, Johnson County, Franklin County, Granville, Person, Orange, um, Chatham, uh, generally that kind of about a 10 county area, Smithfield, Dillington, right. uh, Lewisburg, Roxboro, you know, those, those type of cities, um, where we'll travel just about anywhere if we feel like we can be effective, uh, but mainly here in Wake County. I mean, of course, Lake, Wake County has a lot of towns, Holly Springs, Fuquay, Apex, Cary, Wake Forest, Wendell, you know, we handle cases in all those areas. Too. Right, right. We do the same thing in Charlotte where, you know, I call it the Charlotte Metro, but we've got you know, six or seven different surrounding counties that we'll go to ourselves. Um, so, if uh, John, what's the best telephone number to reach you at if someone has a question um, in one of those counties, Wake County, you know, Raleigh uh, metro area? 919 617 7009. That's 919 617 7009. And uh, email, is there a good email for you? Yes, it's john at fannylaw.com. That's john, J O H N at Fanny Law, F as in Frank, A-N-N-E-Y-L-A-W.com. Well, John, thank you uh, so much. I, I appreciate your time. And um, maybe we can do another uh, one of these when we have a little bit more information about our courts opening back up. I think uh, Charlotte's going to probably start opening up here pretty soon. Cases are being continued uh, past June 1st, but we may start seeing more courtrooms open, both in District and Superior Court, even before then. I would encourage people uh, to follow all state and local and federal um, stay-at-home orders. Uh, If you have questions about what you can or cannot do, uh, you can check uh, uh, John's website. I have website information. And you can probably call up and ask some some free questions and not worry about getting a bill, at least for the criminal uh, matters. Uh, So, John, thank you again for joining us. And if you have other legal questions or issues, uh, please feel free to email me at bill at carolinaattorneys.com. And we may 
uh, be able to address that um, on uh, Law Talk. Thanks you again very much, John. All right. Thank you, Bill. You've been listening to Law Talk with Bill Powers, your resource for answers to your most pressing legal questions on your time. Ready to discuss your matter now? Call 704-342-HELP for your free and totally confidential consultation. That's 704-342-4357. Law Talk with Bill Powers is an educational resource only. The information presented on this podcast does not constitute legal advice and is not a substitute for consulting with an attorney. Every situation is unique. Therefore, you should always consult with a licensed attorney before making any legal decisions. Thanks for listening.